Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world. Broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. BlakeRadio.com. Music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow Soul. Dr. Jennifer Daniels, and you're listening to Healing with Dr. Daniels on Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul. Alrighty. Well, as many of you know, I spent a couple of weeks in China. Yes, I was invited to go to China by one of my uh, clients who got phenomenal results with healing her knees. And she said, Dr. Daniels, they need your help in China. I said, really? Why, whatever do you mean? She says, well, Western medicine is making big inroads over there, and it, it looks like it doesn't look good. I think they need your help. I said, oh, okay, well, I'd be glad to come visit anyway and see what I can do. And so she arranged a few uh, presentations for me to give on natural healing to groups of people who... Uh, were studying English or had some uh, familiarity with the English language. And it was really uh, quite a, a really incredible experience. Uh, first of all, the people, the citizens were extremely, extremely friendly. Very, very friendly. And I just was totally surprised by that. I expected maybe a little standoffish, you know, whatever. But people were very, uh, very friendly. And I told uh, my story, the title of my talk was A Medical Doctor's Journey to Becoming a Natural Healer. And so uh, that was actually very interesting to um, a lot of people. So it actually drew some, um, you know, pretty good, pretty good audience. And while I was there, I learned a lot and uh, they learned a lot too, I guess. So I'd like to share with you um, some of the things that I learned. So first of all, Chinese, uh, the Chinese people, everything, almost their, their whole 
uh, way of doing things centers around um, health. And the first thing that's really striking is uh, when you get there, you'll ask for a glass of water, thinking in your mind that you're going to get a glass of water uh, to drink. And immediately you get a glass of very warm water, at least 100 degrees. And this is because they believe that it's absolutely awful to drink uh, a beverage, especially water, at any temperature less than uh, body temperature. And so that was my first uh, just kind of surprise, like, oh, we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> and then um, something as simple as using the uh, bathroom, you walk into the bathroom and the ultimate squatty potty, which is basically a uh, hole in the floor lined with ceramic. And depending on how upscale the place you are in, the fancier the piece of ceramic. But you're basically looking at a hole in the floor. And so then you squat, you, you place your feet on either side of this oblong hole, you squat, and then you uh, urinate or defecate. And at first, this was a little surprising. Um, and then I uh, went into a bathroom that had a handicapped uh, bathroom. And so I, I thought to myself, well, I wonder what a handicapped bathroom looks like. So I looked at a handicapped bathroom and boom, it was a Western-style toilet. That's all, a Western-style toilet. No handlebars, nothing. A Western-style toilet. So that's what a handicapped toilet is. Now, um, so I did use the... Um, I call it a squatty potty, which is a, basically the hole in the floor with the ceramic. And I'm telling you, when you squat all the way down to where your bottom is literally um, two inches above the ground, it certainly does definitely realign your intestines. And the experience is almost nothing like the experience of the little steps they put or try to put around the um, modern conventional western toilet to give you the experience as if you're squatting. Um, so that was that was a definite experience and you could definitely feel how you got a bigger um, clean out. And so uh, Naturally, I went to see a traditional Chinese uh, medicine person. I didn't have anything wrong with me, so I didn't really have anything to uh, you know, say. So I figured, aha, I'll take my husband. <laughs> so my husband, for those of you who don't know, is a uh, regular omnivore without much attention to anything healthy and uh, eats things like um, ice cream with chocolate chips, uh, chocolate chip cookies, uh, various pies, pastries, and breads, and of course meats, and um, really anything else. And he also has uh, tremendous pain in in one hip. And so I figured I'd take him into the TCM healer and see what they could do. And so I took him in. Of course, there's this language barrier. Um, I took him in and I just uh, 
pointed to my husband and said, just kind of waved my hand, like, well, whatever you want to do. And it took them, well, first of all, they, they, they laid him on the table and they started uh, rubbing his back with some type of oil. And then out came the cups. And they must have put at least 80 cups on his back. All these cups. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with cupping, um, they put round cups on the skin and then create a vacuum, sucking the air out of the cup. And this pulls the skin up into the cup. And so the skin literally bulges up like about uh, one to three inches high in a dome inside this cup. So I did this all over uh, his back. And so I, you know, kind of gave him a little pat and encouragement, hang in there. Of course, you know, this is, we'll see how this goes. And I noticed there was uh, a person in the table next to my husband. And this person got the cupping, and then they put in the acupuncture needles, and then they hooked up the electricity to the acupuncture needles, and let the electricity flow. And it means that they just did this, and they did that. And I'm like, oh, wow. I'm thinking, oh, boy, my husband's going to get all those neat things. This is so exciting. <laughs> and so the, uh, the uh, Chinese healer, put all the cups in place, he and his assistant, and they um, put a cover over the cups and they waited and then they took the cover off and then they took the cups off. And, and then the uh, healer started talking very um, very agitated, very animated. And so we couldn't understand a thing. So we called uh, a friend of ours who was bilingual to give us a translation. And actually, at that point, we didn't really want to transition. We wanted to know uh, how are things going and how much longer and what else were we going to do. Um, but the Chinese healer, without um, manipulating my husband, without any further anything, um, said, you have to leave now. You have to go straight to the hospital and you need an x-ray. You have a problem with your hip. And he whipped out an x-ray of another person. And uh, who had normal hips, by the way, and pointed here, here, here. This, this is the problem. The problem is right here, right here. And he uh, found the, the problem is exactly the place where he said it was, which was in the um, hip joint, where the ball joint meets the pelvis. And I said, wow, incredible diagnostic acumen there. And he didn't have to uh, press and poke. He didn't uh, rotate the leg and cause pain. Nothing just went right to the diagnosis, immediately knew what was going on. We were a little disappointed that he suggested we go to the hospital and get an x-ray. I mean, since when is an x-ray therapeutic? Um, but that just shows the influence that Western medicine has, that now a you know traditional healer is going to say, wait, you know, um, I'm not going any further. You have to go uh, get Western medicine. This is not something I'm allowed to handle. And so... Uh, they removed all the cups and reiterated their, their urgent message, drop everything and go to the hospital. And so uh, my husband was still in a, in a fair amount of pain. He was in just as much pain afterwards as he was before. We paid the uh, traditional healer, and the amount that we paid him uh, in U.S. was more or less uh, $7.00. So 
went back to the to the, the hotel, and of course my husband was uh, in pain, and so we slathered on some turpentine, and uh, it took the pain away. So we were a little disappointed that the the uh, traditional Chinese healer wasn't more. Um, I want to say effective, maybe more aggressive, and maybe if he had done something more, uh, my husband might have experienced some relief. But he was extremely good at, di- at diagnosis. Uh, I was very, very impressed with that. Um, the other thing that I encountered was I encountered a woman who had just had a baby, and everything went very well, uh, you know, with the delivery and pregnancy and everything. And I found out that in China, when they have a baby, there's a whole uh, one-month ritual where the mother and baby are basically in seclusion together. And so she was worried or concerned, is this really necessary? And of course, I think what what people uh, fail to understand when when they ask questions like that is uh, there's health in terms of physical health, like survival of the baby, and then there's health in terms of forming a healthy relationship between the mother and baby. And in um, Ayurvedic medicine, there's actually an eight-week period where the mother and baby um, are in seclusion um, and basically the mother and baby don't leave the house and family members and friends you know, bring food and do whatever they can to help so that the mother and baby can, be, you know, can form uh, a good bond. So, uh, of course, my answer to her was, I think that that it's a good thing uh, culturally. Uh, if the baby's going to drop dead, it's just not done. Probably not. But at the same time, I think it's a pretty good practice. Um, the next thing I learned was that in China, when people have a cold, um, you can calculate that however you want. I would say a cold might be something like um, a sore throat or a fever they immediately go to the hospital and receive intravenous antibiotics. This is uh, the custom. Or you can call it the standard of care, but uh, with the language barrier, I couldn't quite get if that is what it was. I think maybe it is the standard of care, but it's a custom and it's the way things are done. And so, of course, they were they were wondering, is this really necessary? Does this really help? And, of course, uh, antibiotics generally do not work for viral infections, and so, of course, it would, be, would not be considered to be uh, beneficial. However, this is one area where Western medicine is able to uh, gain inroads because the Chinese, of course, were, were concerned about colds, concerned about infections. But what they do have is, is severe, severe air pollution. And so a lot of what you might call colds um, is more a result of the, um, of the air pollution. And another side effect of the air pollution, you might imagine, is people had uh, a lot of sinus problems, a lot of coughing, a lot of spitting. And so when you walk down the street, you you see people coughing and spitting just everywhere um, because of the air pollution. And this generates a lot of medical work because people will go to the doctor and say, hey, you know, I have this sinus problem, what can I do? And um, because of so many people going to the doctor, I say the doctor, I mean the Western medical doctor, uh, complaining of sinus infections, they uh, get surgery. And the surgery that they get, uh, the sinus surgery, 
generally is not effective. So this, it's not, it does not relieve the symptoms, number one. But number two, uh, because of the uh, way the Chinese face is put together, there's a very uh, flat bridge there in the nose, many uh, Chinese people who get the surgery experience a collapse of half of their nose in even that side of their, of their face, the bone structure. This is not very well received. And so what happens, uh, what has been happening is people are assaulting and murdering their doctors when they become disappointed at the results they receive. So this is, uh, this is a huge issue actually in China. Um, and this was brought up a couple of times. Oh, when I gave presentations, you're like, well, Dr. Daniels, this is a terrible thing. What are we going to do? Uh, what should be done? And so, as many of you know, um, I've discussed this uh, harm that doctors do towards patients as basically a form of assault. And in China, apparently, the patients perceive this not only as assault, they perceive themselves as justified in committing what one, what one might describe as self-defense. And so it's, it's really uh, amazing. And so you can actually Google this on Wikipedia. And it's, uh, they say it's violence against doctors, but it's also called Yi Nao. Yi Nao. And um, the phenomenon of Yi Nao is called healthcare disturbance, and it's been identified as a contributing factor in violence against medical personnel. Um, not just doctors, but I mean doctors are more prominent, but uh, medical staff, and usually to obtain compensation for actual or perceived medical malpractice. And again, medical malpractice is uh, it's kind of a loaded term. Because this, the strict meaning of medical malpractice means that the doctor deviated from the standard of care as a result of the deviation harm was caused. And in many cases, I'm sure, there was no deviation from the standard of care. Simply harm was caused. And Yi now is perpetrated often by organized criminal groups hired by patients or their families. And uh, these Yi now gangs, are called gangs, may also solicit activity in other words, explicit business. And it's been increasing in recent years. So um, they actually had an article in 2013 in the British Medical Journal. And they described Yi Now gangs as consisting of largely unemployed people. And again, that's like calling a doctor unemployed. He's employed as a doctor. Obviously, the Yi Now people are employed in Yi Now. They're employed in the assault of doctors. It's like hiring a carrying a cabbie and saying, well, this cabbie is giving me a ride and I'm paying him, but he's actually an unemployed person except for his cab driving. So obviously these you know, people are employed. They're employed in the business of assaulting medical uh, professionals. And so what they found is they did a study in 2006 and of 270 tertiary hospitals. A tertiary hospitals is a fancy word for um, 
in the United States, the equivalent would be a teaching hospital. And over 73% of hospitals reported experiencing ye now. And um, this ye now is so uh, severe in China that um, while I was there, I met a person who had completed her training in medical school in Western medicine to become a physician. And she had completed one year of residency. And she was afraid to practice medicine because of Yi Now. In other words, she felt that it would be too dangerous. Even though her, her family had paid for her and supported her in all these years of schooling. Another thing she mentioned was that uh, during her residency training, she had exposure to traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, traditional Chinese medicine is actually losing favor in terms of people training to work in traditional Chinese medicine because it does not pay well. For example, you know, like the, the traditional Chinese healer basically charged seven dollars for what amounted to um, at least a thirty-minute, I think, close to an hour treatment. Um, but Western medical doctors earn quite a bit more money and do very well um, financially, except of course for the now or whenever they're um, assaulted or living constantly in fear of assault. And so she was afraid to use her degree. But she did this during her residency. She was exposed to traditional Chinese medicine. She noticed that patients who received traditional Chinese medicine often self-improved, they were grateful, and they were thankful. The patients of Western medicine were often, they not, without exception, they, were, they couldn't tell if they were really getting better. They would say, well, you know, I'm not sure if I'm really getting better. And so in other words, there, there's not any subjective feeling of improvement. And so she was very confused because she said, well, Dr. Daniels, the Western medicine is supported by scientific research. We know it's effective, but none of the patients appear to experience any improvement. The traditional Chinese medicine is not supported by research, any really scientific research, yet the patients feel so much improved. And so I had to break the news to her that a lot of the research is not reproducible. This is a fancy word for... Uh, not true, false, fake, invalid, uh, can't be verified. In other words, it's research that has no scientific basis because it can't be objectively uh, reproduced. So Yi Now is, is, a, is a big deal. And Yi Now is a huge reason why uh, Western medicine has not been able to make inroads into China. Because certainly, um, you know, the investment on the part of pharmaceuticals and part of uh, the medical industrial complex is certainly there. But the problem is the the linchpin, which would be the doctor, is a weak link because um, people um, feel free to assault their doctors when things go are not expected. And so the question is, well, what's, what's causing these, these things? And so the reported attacks on, on um, Chinese practitioners have been um, blamed 
on people who were dissatisfied with the care they received. And so certainly in the United States, we find this widespread dissatisfaction with care. However, we see culturally in the United States, people are willing to go through a malpractice process and willing also to accept um, a status of non-improvement as actually being a success. Saying, well, you know, I I saw the doctor and he didn't hurt me, so that's just really good. Things went well. And so they also say that violence can stem from patient dissatisfaction with care and costs associated with insurance premiums and also unrealistic expectations. And this is important. Um, If people, both in the United States and in China, had realistic expectations, a lot of them would not submit to medical care at all. They would not. Um, and this is something I've observed again and again uh, in my experience, is when people ask the question, doctor, will this, interve- will this drug help me live longer? And you tell them no. And they'll say, well, well why should I take it then? But if you don't um, offer that information, then they, they get all caught up in it. It's like um, the people who uh, are diabetic. If you, if, if many of them say, "Oh, okay," um, the treatment goal is hemoglobin A1C of six point five, and most people say, "Okay, great." Treatment goal 6.5, I'm there. But if you say to the person, excuse me, do you know the treatment goal of 6.5, hemoglobin A1C, increases your death rate by 30%, many people will say, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) I don't think I want to go for that treatment goal. And again, you have this situation where patients have the unrealistic expectation of benefit when actually the harm is built right into the uh, standard of care. And so what they're saying is also the rising cost of health care due to the government's inability to subsidize hospital operations. In other words, um, the government has not instituted the harsh and draconian taxes that the United States government has. The um, Medicare tax of uh, 3% of uh, really 6% of people's growth earnings is a pretty horrific tax. And so this is a tax that the U.S. government has instituted, 3% paid by the worker and 3% by the employer. Um, The government in the United States has also instituted um, the property taxes. In many cases, um, Medicaid expenses are buried in the property tax. So there's a lot of taxes in the United States that um, subsidize Healthcare, and now um, legislation has been passed to create yet another tax, which is the Affordable Healthcare Act. So, um, in China, these taxes do not exist, and because they don't exist, people in China have tremendous disposable incomes. Another thing that I observe, but um, this violence is you now is because people are paying money for healthcare right out of pocket at the time of service. And so they get pretty ticked off 
when they pay that amount of money and find that they were harmed. And so what they are properly noting here is because the payment for health care is direct, the individual's perception of harm, cause and effect is very direct as well. And the United States is quite obscured. The other thing they realize uh, the cause of ye now is the lack of a third-party formal dispute resolution system in many hospitals. And basically, in the United States, we have a nationalized system of malpractice. And the acceptance of bribes or good faith money in the form of red packets has been implicated. And so media coverage and a lack of health literacy among Chinese population have also been implicated. And so um, many of the Chinese will seek unnecessary high-level care. Again, you have to uh, read between the lines on that, is many Chinese seek uh, high-level care, and high-level care, um, such as, for example, cardiac catheterization, open-heart surgery, these are all high-level care, but they're high-complication care with very low uh, benefit. And so because the Chinese are being indoctrinated um, via media and other outlets, um, they seek this type of care with the expectation it will help, and then they become very disappointed when it doesn't. And again, it's difficult. Even when I was a physician uh, in the United States, I would say to people, well, I don't think this is going to be helpful for you. This is not a beneficial maneuver. I, I, I don't think it will be helpful, and it could be very harmful. And again, because of their prior conditioning through media, through outlets, through propaganda, um, they actually find it difficult to believe, and, and they do not accept that. And then when these people pursue this, plunk, and in China, plunk down their hard-earned money, um, they have ye now. Now, I like the response. The response is really nice. The Chinese Medical Association has issued a statement calling for system-wide reforms to be made. And um, the Ministry of Public Security of the People's Republic of China has advised hospitals to hire at least 100 security guards if they have over 2,000 beds. Now, if you notice in the United States, there are security guards in every single hospital, and those security guards are not there to protect the uh, patients. They are there to protect the, uh, the staff. Um, however, increased implementation of security guards, medical, metal detectors, and legal threats has been criticized as failing to deal with the underlying cause of the violence. Of course, the underlying cause of the violence is people are being lied to um, and they're being robbed of their money and of their health. And so, in 2013, the International Business Times reported that hospital staff at Zhongshan Hospital and Huashan Hospital were learning Taekwondo um, after the chief physician of the head of otorhinolaryngology department was murdered by an angry patient. And this is what um, I was being told, is that this sinus surgery people are getting basically uh, in response to poor air quality and pollution is totally ineffective. 
and doctors who do the surgery are, are being assaulted in great numbers. And of course, what's the answer? Well, the answer, the best answer would be to get rid of the pollution, but in the absence of that, of course, a $10 neti pot with um, salt water, frequent rinsing, and uh, wearing a mask of some sort. But again, when you're the head of the otolaryngology department um, and you're earning large sums of money uh, doing this, it's, it's difficult to walk away. So it was very interesting um, to learn of this uh, ye now, and it's, it's a very real issue. Now, they actually have numbers. We have thousands of doctors every year. I believe the number is 17,000 was the last count. 17,000 doctors um, every year are assaulted. Uh, yeah, 17,000. And that's an old number. That's in 2010. The more recent years, um, I guess the number is so high that in 2012 they do it per hospital. So 27.3 assaults per hospital per year. That's a lot of assaults. So in other words, every hospital doctor probably knows somebody who's been assaulted. And... Um, this is something, as I said, it's really put a crimp in the growth of modern medicine uh, in China. So, what else? Uh, so, that's what I learned from the, uh, the Chinese. I thought it was pretty interesting. So, what they learned from me? Well, I'm kind of more of a big picture type person. Everybody wanted to know, did I think that traditional Chinese medicine was better than Western medicine? And, and so they wanted to commit me to a statement on that. And which part of traditional Chinese medicine? And so they're very, um, very precise, uh, detail-oriented people. I said, well, you know, the, the real issue here is that there's a body count. And the body count in the United States, which is only 300 million people, is 880,000 people a year. And traditional Chinese medicine does not have anywhere near that body count or record of dead people, people who die as a result of receiving traditional Chinese medicine. And so I think that's really the issue. The issue here is that traditional Chinese medicine is is just nowhere near as harmful. And yes, um, you know, there there are benefits of traditional Chinese medicine, and TCM, just by the way, just like uh, Western medicine, has different levels of practitioners, or different level, levels of things that they did. In other words, the practitioner I saw was not particularly effective, I should say my husband saw, was not particularly effective. In his defense, though, my husband's condition was pretty severe, uh, number one. But then on the other hand, um, there may have been other methods using chi or whatever that he did not uh, employ, either because he wasn't particularly changed in that or uh, he just wasn't convinced my husband would benefit from it. So, uh, I shared, of course, my story, which is going to medical school, noticing that people weren't getting better, which is pretty much what the medical students 
I met in China noticed. And they were a little troubled by this. And uh, my observation that um, natural healing methods actually resulted in people getting better from diseases that I taught were taught in medical school were actually incurable. And so my emphasis to them was that they needed to approach the defense of traditional Chinese medicine on a more general level, not a not so much uh, a minutia. Because if they if they approach it on a minutia level, which is okay, let's take a look at cupping. Is cupping effective? What are the scientific studies supporting cupping? Then you know Chinese medicine will, will fall. There's no hope for it. Why? Because if you say that only scientific studies done by drug companies studies that, that, that maybe measure factors that are irrelevant to health, studies that are uh, arranged and contrived are acceptable and that you need to have, say, 10, 20, 30 years of studies, then automatically modern medicine wins. Why? Because studies are already done. And so then you have a uh, basically a 20-year quarantine of traditional Chinese medicine. We have to say, well, geez, you know, we have to stop using traditional Chinese medicine until we can do some studies. And that amounts to basically a confession. And so the traditional Chinese healers, and I spoke to even some university uh, officials, um, their question to me was, what kind of studies can they do and how quickly can they be done? So uh, my discussion, my response to them was, whoa, stop, stop right now. Uh, that's, that's the wrong approach. The studies that they need to be have done have already been done, and they've been done in the West, and they've actually been done by the uh, United States government. So there's a whole body of studies uh, indicating that Western medicine is dangerous, that Western medicine kills, and they need to cite those studies. And so when I mentioned to them, for example, the uh, Medicare report of uh, 2012 by the Surgeon General indicating 180,000 Americans with Medicare benefits were, were killed as a result of their medical care, they were shocked. Like, oh my gosh, there's, there's such studies? I said, absolutely. And um, what they then shared with me was they only had access to selective studies that were translated into Chinese by, of course, the Western medicine advocates. And so I said, well, what's needed then is to translate the rest of the studies, to translate the large body of studies done by the medical industrial complex itself, done by the United States government, um, showing what the damage is and that the damage is actually being done. And that that would really solve the debate because that would put the medical industrial complex in the catch-22, they'd have to either admit the studies are valid, in which case that would make Western medicine far more dangerous than traditional Chinese medicine, or they'd have to decide the studies are not valid, 
in which case none of the studies are valid and there is no scientific basis for Western medicine. So you have to either admit the studies are valid, in which case Western medicine is a major killer, or you have to decide the studies are not valid, in which case none of the scientific studies are valid and um, there is no basis for concluding that Western medicine is superior to traditional Chinese medicine. So it's essentially uh, an issue of strategy, an issue of relying on existing uh, existing studies. In fact, what's happening now in the United States is because the insurance industry has reached what we call ascendancy, in other words, they're more powerful than the other arms, the medical industrial complex. The insurance industry is more powerful now than the hospitals, even than, I believe, the drug companies, because the insurance industry gets the first dollar. They've, they've got the Affordable Care Act passed, so now they have the money. And so what they're doing is they're not doing any research. They're going back to the research that's already been done and reanalyzing it. So a lot of um, scientific medical studies, although they've been done, they've reached conclusions that actually were not supported by the research in the study. When I was in medical school, I found this very confusing. I would read a study and it had a conclusion, and I would say to myself, this conclusion was not supported by the data presented in the study. And of course, as a medical student, I came to the conclusion that as a beginning student, obviously, I had failed to appreciate something, and I would just dismiss it and go on. But um, if you read medical studies, uh, and it's still worthwhile pastime, I say certainly it's worth reading maybe five or ten studies, you will notice that for most scientific studies, the conclusion reached by the author is not supported by the data presented by the study. And then what happens is the study is quoted the conclusion of the study is quoted, and that's all. But when you go and read the study, you find it's just not supported. Um, now, another thing uh, about the Chinese is we're always told that Chinese live longer and healthier than Americans, and guess what? Not exactly true. Uh, Chinese life expectancy has consistently been about four years uh, shorter, four years behind that, of the uh, average of the life expectancy of the United States. So the question then is, uh, does this mean that they necessarily have worse health care? That's an interesting, interesting concept. Um, what I did was I took a look at this. I said, there must be something else going on here. Because when I, when I um, took a look at, you know, my experience of being in China was that people were extremely happy, extremely healthy, very, very agile, very mobile. And so this life expectancy might not tell the whole story. And so what did I take a look at? I took a look at the health expenditures as a share of gross domestic product. And if we look at the United States, uh, it, it's pretty high. It's, it's about 
And in China, it's about 5%, which is, that's a pretty big, a pretty big difference. But if you look at the dollar difference uh, per capita spent, then you see an even bigger difference. The per capita expenditure uh, healthcare in the United States is about $8,700 uh, per person. And, and this is just uh, 2012. And in China, it's uh, $480 per person. So that's a huge, huge difference. And so if you take this uh, number uh, for the United States, $8,700, and you figure for every year of a person's life, $8,700 is being spent on health care. And that that person gets to work from age 22 to age 65, which is 23 years, um, to pay that amount of money, then taking into account um, pre-tax, post-tax income, it turns out that literally 25 years of a person's uh, 43-year work life is spent paying for health care. And you say, well, Dr. Gaines, how can this be? The big thing we don't account for is the end-of-life care. Often what happens is the hospital slash doctors, the medical industrial complex, will literally take all of the person's estate in payment for their um, end-of-life bills. And so it's this final cleanup that really uh, kind of puts the icing on the, on the cake in terms of robbing a person and their progeny of... Um, of years of their labor. So in China, of course, the number is $480, and the average um, Chinese wage is $40,000. And so if you take a look at that, then you find that the average Chinese spends about two or three years of wages paying for a lifetime of health care. And so you take their life expectancy, which takes 72 years, subtract what they <clears throat> spend working to pay for their health care. And so this uh, $72 minus, let's call it four years, is 68 years of life a person has after they paid for their health care. Whereas in the United States, the life expectancy is 76 years and you subtract the 25 years they spend paying for it, they really have, um, you know, 51 years of productive life after they pay for their health care. That's another way of looking at it. Very, very interesting. So with the Chinese, even though they may smoke cigarettes, they do smoke at a much higher rate and cigarette smoke everywhere. Um, they uh, they end up, as they say, net-net, a lot more um, useful, productive years. 
especially when you uh, calculate that they are not a slave to the medical system. Okay, let's go over here to Blog Talk Radio, our dashboard. I'm sorry, I haven't been able to get over to the... um, chat room tonight. Okay, if people, if people have uh, questions, the um, call-in number Oh, jeez. Actually, they can push one on their phone, and if I can get back to that screen. Uh Here we are. Uh, Maybe I can uh, answer a few questions. So, then what happened uh, also in the, um, during my visit, it was very, very interesting. Um, I had been warned about the pollution, but didn't really anticipate just... uh, I guess how bad it was going to be. And as I was there, I um, was coughing and coughing and hacking and hacking all the time. And I didn't think anything of it. I thought that I was just coughing and coughing and hacking because, well, I was just coughing. Um, but as soon as the plane, as I got on the plane to leave, and the plane landed in Amsterdam, my cough went away. And that's when I realized, oops, <laughs> I guess uh, it was the air pollution. And I noticed that Every place I went in China, people were blowing their nose and coughing up phlegm and hacking. Um, the other thing I noticed is the food was very, very wet and also very hot. It's in the Sichuan province. What does that mean? Well, if you have very wet food, and things are served as a soup, um, there's always a soup served with dinner, then you don't have so much dehydration and you don't have so much heart disease, um, stroke, or other um, digestive disorders and crises. So that was um, interesting. And also there's an incredible variety of food. And the spices and tastes and flavors of the food were totally different from what I experienced at either Chinese restaurants in the United States or even Chinese restaurants here in Panama. Very, very interesting. And of course, I noticed why, too. I mean, the, the flavors are very different, and so they've uh, been adapted. All right, so we have a question here. Let me see if I can push my button correctly. Hi, you're on the Hello. air. Your question? Hello? Uh, yes. Hello? 
Yes, I can hear you. Hi, uh, Mrs. Bill, as usual. And um, the question I have is the role mm-hmm. of preventive medicine, especially preventive exercise in the school system in China. There's a standardized 24 movement Tai Chi form, which, which all students have to take. And um, fully half the people in China who do Tai Chi, and that's a quarter of the population, start after the age of 60 um, because they're worried about continuing not just longevity but the quality of their health for the rest of their lives. In addition to that, Chinese exercise a lot more than Americans and, as far as I know, don't don't spend their whole life driving around in the That's true. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of exercise. In fact, I didn't mention that. They have exercise in the park, uh, and they have huge areas of uh, park where the government actually has people it hires to lead these exercises in the park, and they play beautiful, relaxing music. And it's every day at 4 p.m. Uh, wherever you are, you can go to the park, and they have these very gentle movements. I'm not so sure I would call them Tai Chi. Um, it's more of a, a just kind of a graceful kind of swinging movement. And then um, on weekends, they have couples uh, dances in the park. And that's what I saw. Um, I personally think that it's extremely healthy to just get up and move. And just the public endorsement of physical activity is great. Now, in China, because the distances are so far, there's a tremendous amount of uh, of walking. And you do need to be physically capable to get around. There did not seem to me to be very much handicapped facilities or handicapped people for that matter. Um, so it's difficult to know which it is. Is it that there's so much physical fitness, that people just weren't handicapped, or is it that the facilities with handicap were, were not so great? I think uh, my guess is that there's probably a lot less handicapped people because I did see handicapped people. There was an occasional um, an occasional wheelchair, but people really, um, really got around, uh, even um, older people. And I, I did not see what I could call um, Tai Chi uh, type movements. But I was very surprised. And so I, I, I was walking and I saw in the park all these people exercising. And I decided, oh, I'm going to go join them. And so I did. <laughs> and so I was with some Chinese people. And so I asked them, how does everybody know what to do? Because everyone's doing a similar movement at the same time. I said, oh, over there is the leader. And so there, sure enough, was the leader who had her earphones on and was uh, doing movements. And, of course, they had um, a speaker um, playing, uh, like I said, soothing music and singing um, some uh, very calming, soothing Chinese words. So it was very... uh, very interesting that they had such a thing and that it was just uh, publicly endorsed and really just available to to everybody. And like I said, they, they had the couple's dances and in the couple's dances, 
you know, there are um, older women who would dance together if they didn't have a partner, and there are, you know, um, couples dancing as well. And just the whole emphasis on physical activity, I thought was really, it's very, very good. Okay, you are listening to Rainbow Soul, Blake Radio Network. And this, of course, is Healing with Dr. Daniels. And I'm going to give my chat room a try. Although, particularly browser doesn't always let me in my chat room. Here we are. Ugh. Nope, the browser says no. All right. Well, next week we'll have a different browser. This browser is inspired. All right, so I invite people, of course, to visit uh, vitalitycapsules.com. And I hope that the information about China and Chinese ways is helpful. And I will see you next week.